everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Our Denver Broncos podcast. Uh, normally, I'd be joined by Uppercut of Justice. Currently, uh, his smile bones are hurting him, so he is not going to be joining us tonight. I am going to be joined by D Bronx fourteen fourteen fourteen. How you doing? How are you? Thanks for having me on. Uh, real quick before we get started, uh, apparently Uppercut is now on the train uh, that I finally hopped off of. I think we're really looking for a name for this thing. I'm not sure where everybody stands on that. If you have suggestions, throw them in the comments because we haven't settled on anything. And if you search r slash Denver Broncos podcast on Google, doesn't always... Uh, turn up our show it'll turn up some reddit threads asking for broncos podcasts but anyway let's go ahead and jump into things the draft is like a week and a half ish two weeks away so we want to talk about some wide receivers so first off what we're going to do is just run through the wide receivers that are on this team and it's not a very long list i might be forgetting some guys 14 so help me out here maybe um off the top of my head, we've got Cortland Sutton, Tim Patrick, Deontay Spencer, and Deshaun Hamilton. Did I miss anybody? Um, I believe, I, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank. Uh, Fred, not Jones, it was generic name. Number Is 19. Fred Brown? Yes. Is he still on the team? thought I might have seen that somewhere. Either way, I think that's pretty much the all of the people that should be expected to con contribute to the 2020 Broncos safe to say. Yeah. So that's basically Cortland Sutton and a bunch of guys, right? I think that's definitely the best way to put it. Oh, and uh, Juwan Winfrey. I can't <laughs> forget him since he's a, a local dude. Yeah. I, there was a lot of hype around him, obviously being a CU guy and the Matt Russell connection. And then I'm pretty sure I saw some, Rumors, too, that Zach Asani was really pounding the table after meeting him, but rookie year that didn't see him dress much, if at all, and there were some impact plays in the preseason, but it seems like he was pretty far away from contributing, and I don't, I don't know if there was enough there to count on him as a contributor next year. Yeah, I agree. So, uh, aside from Cortland Sutton, well, no, let's, let's start at the top. We'll talk about Cortland Sutton. What? What does Sutton bring to this team maybe that needs to be augmented by another receiver? I think with Cortland Sutton, his greatest strength is what you see when you look at him. He is massive as a receiver, and not even just height-wise either, because the 6'3 is not – it's definitely on the taller end, but it's not the tallest we've seen. What he brings is his mass. He is just mm -hmm. a huge dude, and he plays so strong. And that's why he makes cornerbacks' lives miserable because most cornerbacks are sub-200 guys. Cortland Sutton, I think at the combine, he weighed 218, but he looks bigger to me now. I wouldn't be surprised if he was knocking on the door at 230, but that's generally how his – that's uh, the primary basis for his game is his size, his mass, and he uses that well to box out corners and, you know, reach over safeties and make the circus catches that he does. So I think first and foremost, that's what you that's what you have in Cortland Sutton. And I know there's been some talk of augmenting him with just speed, but I think there's more than one way to do it myself. Um, I think we can get to that when we talk about the other receivers in the class. Okay, so what what's the best thing that Tim Patrick brings? 
I think what Tim Patrick brings is kind of similar to Cortland Sutton, maybe on a slightly less athletic level. He's got similar size, albeit not the the mass Cortland Sutton provides, but he's got that bigger body that is going to make it tough for most corners to play him one-on-one. And he does well making catches while contested, you know, deep down the field. I remember his first Mm -hmm. year, last year starting, made a really nice catch against the Chiefs in Arrowhead. And then we also had that catch against the Texans this year where Drew Locke dropped it in a bucket on the sideline. So, right. And I think, I think part of the problem is one is what he brings, the skill he brings, does he bring it at a starting level? And I think so far you haven't gotten a definitive answer one way or the other. Right. Two, there's a lot of concerns about him being redundant with Cortland Sutton. And I could definitely see that they're not, they're not going to threaten, you know, defenses with just their speed alone and they're not going to make a ton of plays you know getting open underneath with route running so right so you think his his ceiling is probably wide receiver two or three right this isn't a guy that defenses are ever going to focus on he's really not going to draw attention away from Cortland Sutton right I agree I mean yeah there'll be some times where he can make a play but I just I don't think it happens often enough where, yeah, defensive coordinators are coming into the week being like, all right, we need to focus on this guy. I think mo- most defensive coordinators in the league are probably watching him play and being like, all right, if he's going to get a 20-yard catch in the second quarter, I'll let him have it. But then he won't you right. know, show up elsewhere. Uh, Deshaun Hamilton is probably the current third wide receiver on this team. And he's really more capped at like a slot kind of guy. It, am I right? Or... Do you think he could play a little more outside? No, I'm with you there. I think he's limited to the slot because he doesn't have prototypical size. He's listed at 6'1", but you really don't see him play, you know, making plays over guys or whatever. He tends to, you know, his best plays are catching intermediate routes, short routes. And coming out of the draft, one of his uh, one of his biggest strengths that people were knocking the door for him, were pounding the table for him on, was his route running. But the problem with that is, while his route running is not bad, his athleticism is definitely subpar for a starter. So he's really not going to separate against top corners. So usually guys like that, they get relegated to the slot, really can't contribute on the outside. And we've all seen the couple of drops at key moments from him. I don't think I'm ready to put all my eggs in that basket. The Joe Flacco one uh, against the Raiders week one definitely stands out. Yeah, exactly. All right, besides those three guys, you have Deontay Spencer, who is really just a return specialist, right? Yeah, I saw, especially later in the year, they try to work him in on, like, the screen game, get him some, yeah. you know, just get him in space. But unless I'm missing a big play, I don't really remember anything standing out. So I don't know if, if that's a package they're looking to build on. I totally agree. They, I, that stood out to me that they were trying to get him the ball in space, and it just, ooh, it just it wasn't working. It felt like, felt like trying to put a square peg in a round hole. I agree, and I, I thought, uh, the my interpretation of it was, I think the coaching staff realized besides Sutton, they didn't have many receiving options because Noah Fant too was kind of banged up down the stretch and. Mm-hmm was in and out of the lineup, so they couldn't really rely on him. And I just thought that was the staff's message, you know, or their attempt to be like, hey, we don't really have anybody, so let's try anybody. Yeah. Yeah, and then 
I don't know if he was injured, but even then, we didn't see Juwan Winfrey take the field. Oh, we didn't. And like you said, he made a couple of like, I don't know, kind of eyebrow raising plays that were like, oh, maybe he can do something in preseason. But then didn't see anything from him even late in the year when they were trying all of the young guys, you know? Right. Yeah. And now that I'm thinking back to the preseason, the one, um, the one play in the Hall of Fame game. Was that off a tip ball? Tip ball too. Like I didn't think yeah. that was a demonstration of his superior skills. Kind of more like, all right, this ball randomly dropped <laughs> right in this bread basket. Was that throw from Locke? I think that was Rippian. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well. So there you have it. That's a pretty uninspiring group after Cortland Sutton. Uh, Tim Patrick, maybe you can live with as part of your rotation at wide receiver, but I don't want to go into 2020 with him as our wide receiver too. I I don't either. And I I think reading through the tea leaves of the draft rumors, I think it's pretty clear the team doesn't want to do that either. Agreed. So let's take a look at this draft because I, this is the position in the draft that everybody's talking about really. Uh, I, maybe not. Maybe that's because I live in the heart of Broncos country, but it seems like wide receivers are just all the rage in this draft because it is such a deep and talented draft at the wide receiver position. So let's talk about the big three first, right? We'll just start at the top. I, I actually, this might be controversial. This will be controversial. I think there's big two. And then there's a second tier of just one dude. And then there's a bunch of other guys. So for me, Jerry Judy and C.D. Lamb are the cream of this crop. And then there's some separation. And then you have Henry Ruggs. A lot of people like to lump all three of them together. But I do think Lamb and Judy are a class of their own. Do you agree or disagree? I I would definitely agree coming out. I think think Ruggs, the people that love Ruggs, even they will admit it's not his tape that they're putting him over Judy or Lamb. It would be because they're projecting him, you know, to eventually become better. I, I potentially, They put him above uh, potential-wise. But, yeah, as of right now, just as w- wide receivers day one, I think it's Judy, Lamb, and then, yeah, a drop from there. Yeah. All right, so I think everybody listening probably knows the answer, but who's your favorite between Judy and Lamb? Uh, I've I've made it pretty well known on the sub, but my preference is Lamb. Um, Now, I could see why some people disagree, because I think when it comes to Judy and Lamb, it's more of a whatever your preference is in a receiver. But I think with Lamb, you see a higher ceiling and you see a lot of big plays, both after the catch and deep uh, catching deep routes with guys draped all over him. So that's why I give the edge to Lamb. Yeah, I can totally appreciate that um his yard after the catch ability is unmatched in this class really is yeah you know some people get into the whole big 12 argument with cd lamb and jerry judy did it against the sec but with lamb it's not just he's not just doing this against kansas and texas tech he's doing this against some of the best defenses some of the best secondaries in the country and he's making people look foolish with the ball in his hands yeah and i mean it's 
it's a vision thing, right? It's not just, oh, he's playing against lesser talent. Like, he obviously has supreme talent to do it at the level that he does. It's not, I don't know. I, I have a problem with the, oh, he's in the Big 12 kind of argument. I, I agree. Um, one of the bigger buzzwords that's come out recently in the draft community is contact balance. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it, but. No, I haven't heard that. It's kind of the best way to describe it is someone like Alvin Kamara for the Saints. Like when you watch him, he's not incredibly fast. He's not like the most agile person on the field, but he just kind of like bounces off people without taking huge hits and still manages to remain like perfectly upright and like keep a full head of steam. That's the best way to describe CeeDee Lamb. His contact balance is at a near elite level because as you were saying, it's not just like he's not trucking through guys. He's not running around guys. He just kind of people glance off of him and he just keeps going it's it's incredible to watch yeah and on top of that uh I, I think you mentioned his uh his ability to make those contested catches and those circus catches his catch radius is insane based on the brief tape that i watched it really is i mean a lot of people gravitated towards the um the combine he made, obviously, not against anyone, but he jumped damn near out of the stadium, full full outreach, made a crazy catch. Um, but he also did it on the field, too, a couple times. He got LSU with it in the semifinal game, made a real nice catch, high-pointed it perfectly. And there was a play, I believe it was with Kyler, his sophomore year, that he went up one-handed, snagged it like perfectly by the nose of the football. I don't think I think there's maybe a handful of people in the NFL that can make that catch, but you see him do that fairly routinely. It's pretty impressive. Uh, I'm I'm just looking over my notes that I took. I watched two games of tape on each of these guys that I'm gonna talk about today. So just a little little reference point there for everybody. Uh, in the Baylor game, uh, I was really impressed because. On, on this one specific play, he ran like a little like uh, shallow cross route and kind of stopped in the middle of the field and sat down. And then Hertz was in trouble. And I was like, oh, that's pretty lame. Uh, Lamb is just standing there in the middle of the field. And the camera panned away and showed Hertz running for his life in the backfield. And then Hertz lobs it. And all of a sudden, Lamb was on the other side of the field catching this, diving for this ball. And I was really impressed because halfway through the play i was like oh nice he just gave gave up on the play uh, and then at the end of the day he actually turned this broken play into or helped to turn this broken play into like a 15 or 20 yard gain um that's one of those things that you can't really quantify but i think it says a lot about him as a player just not giving up on a play I agree. I think it also speaks to football IQ because as we're seeing nowadays, you know, Aaron Rodgers has been doing it for a while. Mahomes has lit the league on fire with it. And Drew Locke showed some flashes of it. So hopefully we'll get it in our offense. But you see that improvising, buying time from the quarterback is a huge part of the game. Well, a big part of that is having receivers that know where to be when a play breaks down. And there's a, another receiver in this class that also does this really well we could talk about. But I think Lamb provides that in spades. And I think what's impressive, too, that gets lost is that Lamb played three years at Oklahoma. 
And in those three years, he had three different quarterbacks. And yeah. he wasn't always the number one option, but as you were saying, he just seemed always in tune with whatever quarterback was playing. And even Baker, where CD didn't have a huge role when Baker was there, but Baker numerous times praised CD Lamb as not only being a hard worker, but having a ridiculously high football IQ, which as a true freshman is impressive to hear that praise from a Heisman winner. So, yeah, definitely. Uh, anything else that stands out to you specifically, maybe negative about CD Lamb areas that he needs to work on? Um, definitely the concern, and I, I see it brought up in the sub a lot, and it's completely valid, is the route running. He tends to round out his routes instead of the, you know, the ideal breakdown, chop your feet, and then make your cut. Mm-hmm. But I will say in Lamb's defense, there's a clip of um, of Lincoln Riley. Sorry, I was drawing a blank there coach of Oklahoma and he was talking about how they coach their receivers and he said that they specifically teach their receivers to round out routes he doesn't want them to slow down so I think it'll be interesting to see like I, I think some people kind of write off lamb as like oh he's just going to round out his routes but I'm interested to uh-huh. see what pro coaching because I, I don't think there's anything athletically that would suggest he can't do it but we'll see but I, I think that is important to keep in mind with lamb I mean he certainly seems to have good change of direction ability with the ball in his hands so I don't know, unless it's just completely different. I, I don't see why it would be different when he's running his route as opposed to after he's caught the ball. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And But again, it's a concern. We haven't seen it yet, so I can see why some people have that concern. I think my only nitpick on him um, is not even a nitpick. I... I, I just set up three sections on my notes sheet it's things i like things i'm not sure about and things i don't like and things i'm not sure about i don't know how he is as a run blocker um seems a little bit inconsistent that's not something that's going to make or break a wide receiver for me but that was the only thing that i wasn't sure about with with cd lamb i I agree that's definitely a concern but there's some plays you see in the run game where I guess now it would be illegal in the NFL because it, it would be that blindside block, the one where you're running towards your own end zone and blocking somebody. But he had a couple of those where he it wasn't exactly a crackback block because it was on the backside of a play. But you'll see him a couple times do that. So the effort's there. That's encouraging. Yeah. But I do agree. Sometimes he's just, you know, way too out of control with it. And he ends up doing more harm than good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the only thing I have in my things I don't like section on CD Lamb is Jalen Hurts. I oh god. Yeah. This is a wide receiver episode, but I don't get how this guy was ever seen or could be seen as a round one quarterback. Here's a problem too, because if you go deep enough with all of the top three, Jalen Hurts pops up on your screen and it makes you want to claw your eyeballs out. So <laughs> God, he is uh I mean, I understand why some people like him and he seems like a great kid, a great leader, but yeah, it, it's especially with the Alabama guys, we'll get into that more, but you can just see the difference when it's two out there and when it's, when it's hurts out there, the balls are just so much more accurate with Tua and they're on time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's just use that as a segue. Let's, let's move on to Jerry Judy. If, if you're done with lamb. I think we got all of lamb out there. Um, I did catch a little bit of Judy tape with, uh, with hurts throwing to him and, Man, it had to be he, – he had to make so many more adjustments to catch the ball. 
and it was so much more natural with Tua throwing it to him. Right. And I think I'll get into the negatives of Judy later, but I definitely think having a quarterback like Tua is how you, obviously a good quarterback will get the best of any receiver. But I think a guy like Judy, it, it really requires an elite uh, passer, but we'll get into that later. But with Judy, obviously everyone knows it's the route running. It really is incredible. He does like these hesitation moves, head fakes, you know, he looks like a, like those and one basketball tapes. He looks like he's doing that on a football field. It really is incredible what he can do. And he, he gets separation in the slot. You know, I saw some people say that, oh, he might just be a slot. And I, I really don't see that because I see him beat press. It's pretty impressive what he can do. Mm-hmm. So those would definitely yeah, be mean, the strengths I would start with. He, the, the, the thing that stood out the most to me is that he lines up all over the field. I mean, left, right tight wide inside uh in the slot it, it's it, he he can be effective from anywhere so i don't <laughs> i don't see how anyone would limit him to a slot role i think the concern i so somewhat we were talking about with hamilton obviously he doesn't have the athletic concerns but he is like a slighter guy so you know beating press in college is one thing will he be able to beat press in the pros remains to be seen and I guess we're getting into the negatives now because <laughs> the <laughs> positives are pretty much out there. Everyone knows it, but he, he's a, uh, a slighter guy. And uh, I'm looking at Dane Brugler has some, a good write up on him and there's some focus drop issues. Yeah. He had eight drops in 2019 and seven of them came across the middle, which is not ideal for, you know, a, a route runner that's supposed to be getting separation underneath. So yeah, those would be the the bigger concerns. I'm sorry, I got sidetracked. I went to look up his weight and realized that uh, his birthday, I think, is the first day of the draft. The 24th? Uh, it would be the second day, right? Because the draft's the 23rd. It is the 23rd? Okay. Sorry. Right? Totally so. pointless derailing of our train of thought there. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, you're all right. Um, Watching his tape, he uh, kind of makes me think of Demarius Thomas in that he's not always the flashiest guy, but he's pretty well-rounded. Do you, are you with me there, or am I just crazy? Uh, I, it depends which DT you're talking about, because there's you know different evolutions of him. But the younger player, I don't think so. The younger DT was more dynamic after the catch, but I could see late stages DT, you know, having. Once he developed into a route runner, he kind of mm-hmm. lost his um, the big playability, I guess you could yeah. say. So I, I could kind of see what you mean. Do you have a, a pro comp for Jerry Judy? Well, I think I have two because I think – so let me just say with Judy, I 100% agree he has the highest floor. Like I really just don't see him busting. Worst mm-hmm. case scenario, I see him being like a – like worst worst case scenario an 800 yards a season guy you know but so the top end comparison i think his highest of highs would be amari cooper i know amari cooper gets a lot of crap but he honestly he he's a great uh route runner himself and and he brings top tier athleticism as well with it so i would think that's probably the best case scenario for him you know, a guy you can move around the formation, the guy that will get consistently open against one-on-one coverage. Yeah. 
I think the floor, and I hate using this one because he's still kind of young and he might develop, and he's not a bad player, but I could see him being a Calvin Ridley type receiver where he's a he's a definite number two. He's not going to be your number one. Probably not going to hit a thousand yards in a season unless you know you have a high flying passing attack with an elite quarterback. So mm-hmm. that's that's where I would put his ceiling and floor and coincidentally two uh alabama receivers as well but i think his <laughs> his route running does give him a, a really really high ceiling where whereas like i could see a situation where lamb is only a yak guy and doesn't develop elsewhere i could see a situation where rugs doesn't do anything but run fast with judy there, mm-hmm. there's a role a solid role in the nfl for him uh can he be a red zone threat i was gonna list that as one of my concerns because if you look at his stats, and I hate using stats, but he had 10 touchdowns his final season. That looks good on the surface. But then you look at them, and they're against – seven of them are against Southern Miss – I'm sorry, I'm drawing a blank on the other schools. Southern Miss, Arkansas, and I think one of them was a D1 AA school. Okay. But bad Not inspiring. <laughs> right. So that's going to – you know give you some pause about him as a red zone threat but yeah if you're drafting him it's definitely not to be that guy and that's why i think some people have concerns is he a true number one guy because usually your number one guy is someone you get to the red zone you're looking at and i don't know if he'll be that we'll see is that something that the broncos need with Cortland sutton and noah fant on the field that's a good question um i guess with noah fant uh I might draw some ire with this, but I think the jury is still out on him. He he showed some big plays, but he really didn't show up in the red zone. And mm-hmm. I don't, he seemed like his best moments besides the Texans game, he made a really nice catch over the middle and coverage for that touchdown. But some, it seemed like his best moments were when he caught the ball, like in a relatively easy catch and then took off the Browns yeah. catch for a touchdown comes to mind. And then also his first touchdown was a screen against the Titans. So, is he a red zone threat? I don't know. I think I think Denver might if if no fan doesn't develop that part of his game, I think they might need to get one in this draft. So what makes a guy a red zone threat? What what does a player have to do to excel in that area? There's more than one way to skin a cat in the red zone, but primarily you're looking for size because in the red zone, it's all going to be compressed. And what Jerry Judy does is get elite separation, but he does that between the 20s because people are playing further off. Right. In the red zone, you need to be able to make the catch with somebody right on top of you. So I think that's where a guy like CeeDee Lamb has an edge because he does play with physicality and makes circus catches. Right. Jerry Judy, that's just not going to be his game. He'll make you know some time to time, but I'm not looking for him to be a consistent threat I'm tossing the ball up to or expecting him to make, you know, a tight catch and tight coverage. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, I, I, again, I don't have anything in my things. I don't like about him. Uh, there's a couple of question marks that I have, which we've already addressed, but. I was going to say, uh, cause just one more. And again, we talked about, you know, it's really not the end of the world, but. I really did not like his run blocking at all. I, I kind of felt like a lot of the times there just really wasn't much effort there. And you'd see sometimes where he just like kind of gives a casual shove and then walks away. And you'd see him sometimes turn around and be like, oh, the play is still going. And then like look for somebody, you know what I mean? 
that's kind of funny because in my things I like, I have uh, a specific play from uh, Bama versus Auburn where he put a cornerback on his ass in the run game. Um, that is a rivalry game, so maybe that played a part of it. The one game yeah, I, I really watched in deep with him was Michigan. I watched a couple others, but that was one of the ones I saw, and they were kind of blowing him out, so maybe that was part of it. But yeah, a couple like times I said, Michigan, too, I, I only watched two uh, um, two games for each of these guys that I took notes on. So there's definitely a lot more to learn that I haven't gotten to yet. <laughs> okay, well, um, shit, I don't have notes on rugs. How did I do that? No. I mean, this one's one of the easier ones, let's be real. <laughs> He's actually one that I probably know the least about. Because like Uppercut was saying before we started, he's probably the one that people are the most reductive about. So he's... Yeah, and it's it's kind of easy to because... Sorry, he ends his career, you know, we're talking about a top 15 pick. He ends his career at Alabama with 98 catches. And he, played, he started 27 games. That's pretty crazy. 98 catches in 27 games? 27 starts. He played in 41 total. Oh, but yeah, good he made Lord. 27 starts. I'm doing the quick math in my head. That's like three a game. Yeah, that's not... It's hard. It's, it's like... I was going to say, you know, to... The flip side of that is you want to know what's crazy. So he doesn't have 100 catches in his career. He's the number mm-hmm. three. He's number three in Alabama history in touchdown catches. How insane is that? <laughs> yeah, so it's weird because you have this, I mean, relatively small sample size with him. He played in a lot of games but didn't get a lot of catches. But so many touchdowns off of so few catches. So, you know, what What do you make of that as a as a scout at the professional level? I, I think that kind of speaks to, you know, what his role is going to be in the pros. And I, if anyone's drafting him and expecting like, oh, we're going to get 80 plus catches a year out of him. I, I think you're drafting the wrong guy. But I think what he provides is, you know, what we're seeing become really popular across the, the league. Obviously, Tyreek Hill is leading that charge. But having devastating speed like that, that scares uh, defensive coordinators, it really does open up everything else on your offense because now you're shifting coverage to him and that's, I imagine the idea that people want rugs are expecting, is that you're rolling coverage away from Sutton so, right. I really think that's what you're getting, but I will add too because, you know, some speed guys get unfairly labeled as just deep threat guys, he did a lot of work as a short um short catch receiver catching the short passes sorry and then taking them to the house so i don't think it's just speed he does provide some playmaker playmaking ability with the ball in his hands so mm-hmm. yeah i think that's important to note while you do look at the uh what his limitations are so what would you limit his limitations as i mean 
Oh, well, as I was saying, you're not looking for him to be your, you know, number one. He's not going to be a target monster in the NFL. You're going to be looking yeah. for him deep. Or sometimes, you know, a lot of the games like Alabama did, you're probably running them on streaks, posts, trying to draw some safeties away from for somebody else. And then I, but I do see, you know, some jet sweeps, some screens. But yeah, you're not looking at too many ten yard out routes or, you know, intricate. You're not ma- making him run at too many intricate routes because that's also not really a strength of his. Although his athleticism and size would suggest he could do that. So. All right. Do you want? I'm gonna I'm gonna catch some flack from the subreddit here, but do you want to spend the 15th overall pick on a guy whose season or career high and catches is 46? Um, in a season. Here's what's crazy to me. I don't think you're gonna get on that 15. I really do think you know. Just reading the rumor, the the Schefters of the world and the Daniel Jeremiah's, you know, people that are pretty plugged in. It seems like some teams might even have him as their number one receiver. I think it was Daniel Jeremiah that said that. It wouldn't surprise me if the Broncos were. So, yeah, I think 15 for just myself, especially with Lamb and uh, Judy in this class, it might be a tough pill to swallow. But honestly, if the team sees they need an uh, elite uh excuse me, if they see they need elite speed, this might be the only way you get it, really. Because there are some fast guys in this class, but 4-2-7, that's what he ran at the Combine, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, four two, that, that's rare. That's really rare stuff. And as we saw with John Ross, too, he got drafted top 10, but John Ross never displayed, even though Henry Ruggs, his sample size is limited, I don't think John Ross really ever provided this much playmaking in such a concentrated sample size so i think that's part of the evaluation with rugs i pretty much just uh jumped around your question but yeah i think i would draft him at 15 and i I had mentioned this to you uh in the sub before but bill parcells had a planet theory and it pertained to offensive linemen that pretty much said there's only a few amount of people in the world that have the size and the athleticism to play offensive or defensive line in the nfl and i think you could use that for rugs because you know you're probably not going to find a guy like this in the near future right yeah i mean that's understandable it's um but let me ask you this then as a follow-up if you do draft him uh you know we'll just call it 15 um do you try to make him you know maybe not an 80 catch a season guy Uh, i pulled up tyreek hill's numbers uh his career high is 87 uh but he has uh in his four years 61 receptions 75 receptions 87 receptions and 58 do you think you can push rugs numbers up to maybe that 60 to 70 range i i think i think definitely maybe not like every year of his career but i, I definitely think you can get to some some number around that but i think with tyree kill too obviously that's going to be the you know the number one comp as it should be because not many people are doing what they're doing but i think if you're drafting rugs and you're expecting him to be tyree kill you're probably going to be disappointed because uh, tyree kill he's not just fast he is crazy elusive and Ruggs is no slash there either, but the things that he could do with the ball in his hands is incredible. Speaking of Tyreek Hill, so 
But yeah, I do think you can get them more involved in the offense than Alabama did because with Alabama too, we didn't really mention this, but yes, they did have an elite quarterback there, but they also had four four pro caliber receivers last year. Right. So and the other two guys are probably gonna be drafted in the first round next year too. So, you know, there's not really not that much action to go around. So it, it you know, it, it's not like he's having 40 catches as the number one at some smaller school. It, there's a valid reason for why he doesn't have the production. All right. Well, that was a little bit painful for me to get through with no notes on him because somehow I just didn't watch any Henry Ruggs tape or at least take any notes on Henry Ruggs. Yeah, if you're not watching the so full I'm... game tape on him, it's going to be a... A, a tough watch because he doesn't really do too too much that jumps off the screen <laughs> most games right. yeah his um his plays are eye openers but they're few and far between that's for sure i shouldn't say that that's not they are far between they're not few <laughs> <laughs> right yeah that's definitely the best way to describe it okay so my breakdown right now we've got judy and lamb at the top and then rugs is my number three. After that, I've got Justin Jefferson. What do you think? You agree or disagree? I agree. I, I think, you know, the top three is a bit muddled, so it's kind of weird to say, but I think the fourth spot is the most locked down. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like some people have Lamb two, some people have Rugs two, some people have Judy three. But yeah, Jefferson's a pretty consistent four. I, I think that's a pretty safe spot for him. And so what's your favorite part about Justin Jefferson's game? Well, with Justin Jefferson, his production is is off the charts. 111 catches, uh, yards isn't that crazy. 1540, it's good. It's not crazy. And then 18 touchdowns. So, But you look at that, the year before, 54 catches, 875 yards, six touchdowns. So a bit of a one-year wonder, but I'm sorry to answer your question. What he does best, he doesn't bring it to the level that Jerry Judy does, but his route running is is pretty well developed for a young player. Let me elaborate on that. Um, Sorry. No, 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 that's my fault. But <laughs> I think, and again, it, it, I feel bad for the kid because if he was in any other draft class, he would be the best route running prospect in it. But mm -hmm. I, he does, you know, he does do some of those hesitations Again, not to level Judy, but he, he does those. And But I think what he provides over Judy is that he is really good making running those routes and then catching it through contact. You know, you saw him sometimes at LSU getting creamed, and he still came down with it. So, And then I, I would say, too, should have mentioned this at the top, but if you're looking at him to draft him, he you're probably doing it just as a slot receiver. So for some people, that might affect his draft stock, but... He does his best closer to the line, running his routes, and not really uh, a scary deep threat, although he does have decent speed, 4-4-3. Four, four, but, yeah, you're looking for yeah. him to catch balls over the middle and move the chains type of guy. I did notice that he, in the two games that I watched, he was almost always in the slot. Um, he played exclusively slot uh, his final year, pretty much. I don't remember him outside at all. <laughs> I, um... I don't know how I feel about that, not having another top-tier outside receiver in Denver. 
it would be strange because you know the past couple of years we've been used to getting two tight ends in there or a fullback so we've you know we've tried to stay away from three wide receiver sets but if jefferson were to be the pick i think it would signal that hey pat Shermer is bringing his 11 personnel primarily offense here and yeah. the slot receiver is going to be you know playing 70 percent of the snaps plus yeah so you you think then it would just be a training camp battle between Tim Patrick and uh, Deshaun Hamilton for that opposite wide receiver slot across from uh, uh, Sutton? If it was just Jefferson, then yeah, I think that's what would happen. But I would not be surprised because we have three third-round picks. I really wouldn't be surprised to see us add a, a second receiver in that third round. Because as we talked okay, about... Okay, think uh, that you can find... You think you can find another guy, even that late, that'll be an outside receiver? I, I think there's still some outside receiver talent that deep down. It, it might be tough to project them as a day one starter, but I think there's going to be some, some yeah, round three guys that even if they don't become that their first year, they'll eventually become one. And I, honestly, if I'm the Broncos, I'd rather have a guy like that in the wings than just, you know, try and hamilton patrick and then needing to draft another receiver next year yeah yeah that's fair all right um okay so things we like about justin jefferson he has good route running ability um he has a, a track record uh, at least one year i guess of elite production and uh his previous year wasn't terrible production either uh, especially for the offense they were running. I forget the offensive coordinator, but it just, it was one of those that old timey offense didn't fit anybody in it. So, it, you know, it's yeah. an excusable lack of production for sure. Um, okay. Things you don't like about Jefferson. Um, As we talked about, as I talked about earlier, I, I don't see him as a deep threat. Now, if you watch his tape, you'll see he catches some balls, you know, 30, 30 yards downfield, and you're like, oh, wow, like, you know, this guy is a deep threat. But the thing I would caution here is that I only saw him catch deep balls on two routes, and one of them was uh, what we call a switch route, and that's where you have an outside receiver and a slot on the same side, and the outside receiver is running a post cutting in. And the out and the inside receiver, sorry, is running out behind him. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's hard to articulate a play verbally, but no, I, I'm with you. So, and the reason why this works so well is one, Joe Burrow was awesome, and two, Jamar Chase was the outside receiver a lot of the times on the same side as Jefferson. So that caused a lot of attention to go to the post and then that wheel route on the back end was wide open so anyway there are some plays where it, it shows well and he did you know show the ability to go find the ball deep which not everyone can do but mm -hmm. I, I just don't see that being what you're using him for i don't see him going deep often now maybe you run that switch concept with Cortland sutton and he proves me wrong but we'll see and then but the you, other one can't do that every single play right exactly so and then the other play was um, Judy did a lot too, but some people call it a seam option where either you go, if it's cover three, you're attacking vertically and you're just running your streak down the seam. If it's cover two and the middle of the field's open, you kind of option into a post route. So, And that, that play kind of showed me, and 
I should have mentioned it in the strengths as well, but Jefferson had a really high football IQ. And despite not being the best receiver in that offense, he outpaced Jamar Chase pretty significantly in catches because Jefferson had such a good connection with Burrow. And if you watched the Tigers last year, you could see anytime that Burrow was, you know, scrambling out of the pocket in trouble, he was looking for Jefferson. And usually Jefferson was there, and usually Jefferson would come down with a catch. So if you draft him, you know, with what Sutton does, I think having an underneath, reliable underneath guy could be valuable. The one thing that uh, I I did not like about watching the two games that I've watched, he has a weird release off the line of scrimmage. It's like he takes this weird kind of false step, sort of. I think that was maybe some his attempt at like what Judy does that hesitation to you know get off the line but I do agree there are times where he's taking too many steps in his routes which is weird to say because we were praising his route running and that's his best quality but you know mm-hmm. sometimes even the best are consistent and I do think he needs to work on that yeah all right after uh after Justin Jefferson I think things get more muddy and more and you start to see more variation in rankings. So I want you to pick the next guy we're going to talk about. Oh, God. Well, because this is an R Denver Broncos podcast, I think we should go to one of the favorites of the sub, Denzel Mims. Okay. Um, did you watch him? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put you on blast. <laughs> no, no. I uh, I started... I think I watched one game from him. Uh, I did not take any notes. I was wholly unimpressed really which which game if you mind me if you don't mind me asking i I can't i can't remember because you're definitely not wrong because i I mean i haven't watched every game he's played but i do agree there are some games where you're watching them and it's like what what am i looking at this is so boring and then there's (laughs) other times you're just like oh my god he looks like a when you were younger and you'd create like a huge wide receiver (laughs) madden steamroll people that's what he does so yeah, and then I guess my notes on him that I have, I I wrote, obviously, elite size, speed, athleticism, because his, if you go to mockdraftable.com, this is for the mm-hmm. listeners as well, but they uh, compile all the data from prospects, um, like 40 times height, weight, and all that stuff, and they make it into like a spider chart, and Denzel Mims is one of the most impressive I've ever seen. He's like in the 90th percentile of everything. It's absurd. So that's what's going to stick out to you. And then kind of what we were talking about with Cortland Sutton, he doesn't do it as refined because there's an art to it, but he likes to bully smaller DBs before and after the catch. I think in the NFL, if he doesn't change what he does, he'll get some push-off calls, but that's part of his game. And then Mm -hmm. for the negatives, I have I wrote slants, hitches, and goes. That's it. <laughs> it's really not much else that he does. And I, I saw one play. It was one of the funnier things I've ever seen because it just goes to show how great of an athlete he is. There was, um, I think he was running some sort of out and up. It was a double move, but it was just like not, not great. Nice way to put it. And mm-hmm. the DB is even looking at him like, I am not buying up. This. <laughs> and he's like still like <laughs> running back for the deep ball. And then, you know, Mims rounds out this double this double move that doesn't work, but then he just burns the guy and still gets past him. <laughs> you know what I mean? 
it was pretty much like you know beating someone up with an arm tie behind your back like that's yeah that's what this guy brings and then <laughs> but another thing i did like two things i did like is he's really good at catching back shoulder fades so if, if drew lock if the offense want to wants to incorporate those uh, he does really well and it, it, that that's kind of where his football iq shows up it doesn't always show up but it shows up there he knows exactly when to time it and then also sideline acrobat he he regularly gets two feet in a college on some throws that don't deserve to be caught so yeah you're, you're not looking at him in the slot you're not looking at him running a full route tree you're keeping him either like a short yak play where he stiff arms some dbs or you're tossing it up to him on the sideline watching him make a great catch so and he's probably a, a end of the first or early second guy right yeah, actually, think, at this point, probably middle to late first. I think I think there's a strong chance. I know Brugler has him, Dane Brugler of the Athletic. I'm looking at his rankings now. He has him as a first, second grade, but I could definitely see some team falling in love with what he brings and figuring out the rest of it, or thinking they can figure out the rest of it. Yeah, um, that actually raises a question that I've got that I. I don't know if you'll be able to answer any better than I can, but uh, how much faith do you have in Zach Azani's ability to coach players up, to coach wide receivers up? I think that's an interesting question because uh, do you have the the year he joined the Broncos? Off that was twenty eighteen. Twenty oh, it was. Oh, so I mean, people will point to you know Cortland Sutton being that guy being the guy that he developed and i i don't mean to take that away from mazani but i also don't think Cortland sutton showed too much that like suggests like i'm not this sounds like i'm saying something bad about Cortland sutton but i think what Cortland sutton is giving you now is what you knew he was good at in college you know what i'm saying like right. you knew he was big you knew he would catch contested balls and you knew when he caught some shorter stuff he was going to bully around you know 195 cornerbacks so mm-hmm. But anyway, I'm, I'm being way too harsh on Cortland Sutton. I don't mean to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's fair, though. That's it's, it's not like he's I, doing anything we didn't think he could do. Right, right. And I think, you know, I hate, hate to be that guy, but I, I think some people are putting the cart before the horse here. I do think he's ascending. I do think he can very well be an all-pro talent. I just don't think he's there yet. So you couple that with Deshaun Hamilton not really showing out and then the his hand-picked his hand-picked choice apparent uh allegedly last year Jawan winfrey couldn't even get on the field yeah and then, yeah i guess patrick you know he hasn't really shown anything because he was pretty well regarded even coming out of college his problem was just his injury history so yeah i i don't i i think the jury's still out on what azani provides as a developer yeah it, it makes me a little bit uneasy um i'm I'm probably being a little hypersensitive here because this is an unprecedented wide receiver class but when you talk about trying to develop guys um who are inconsistent like mims or trying to get guys to do things that are maybe a little bit more intensive like getting henry ruggs more targets uh i don't know how ready I am to take that gamble because I feel like we don't know anything about Zach Azani still. 
Like there's not. The only thing I would add though is that you're hoping that maybe Pat Shermer's offense, you know, can help can help sorry, the development. You, you cut out. Uh, I'm sorry. I was you're gonna say I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I just wanted to add too that maybe you're hoping Pat Shermer is the guy that, you know, helps helps the development of these receivers and Drew Locke hopefully being a decent quarterback makes these guys look better as well and helps people develop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's true too. I mean, in all fairness, who knows even who the wide receivers coach is for most teams in the NFL? Besides the Steelers, I want that guy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know his name. <laughs> to your point. <laughs> all right. Well, I'll look that up while you. Uh, I'll look that up while you move on. All right. So the next guy I'm going to go with. I, I guess I'm just going on the consensus of people I've seen, but I think the next receiver. <laughs> Is Brandon Ayuk? Now he had that surgery on his uh, core muscle or something. It, yeah. It's not expected to affect him in the season, but it should affect his grade. But neither here nor there. So Ayuk is kind of his first and foremost, and it's kind of similar with Raygor, who we'll get into in a minute. But he is the guy that you get the ball in his hands. He does incredible things, and his forty time might scare some people off it's a four or five flat not exactly elite speed but when you watch mm-hmm. him on the field it doesn't matter who he's doing it against kind of like lamb he's just making yards out of nothing making people miss like crazy and he runs pretty hard i mean he's 511 205 so he's pretty compact and yeah so i think that's what a lot of people like but then also too it's not just that he brings he does really well with the deep ball and i was making fun of mims double move earlier and uh, uh, I'm sorry. Ayuk has shown he's got a pretty good double move. He can fake people out and then beat them deep. So, yeah, I think you know if the Broncos are very, um, very gung ho on adding that deep threat to take away attention from Cortland Sutton, you could do a lot worse than Brandon Ayuk. I might be totally off base here, so forgive me and then correct me if I'm wrong. Brandon Ayuk kind of feels like LaVisca Chenault to me. Mm, I, I could see that. I think I think whereas LaVisca Chenault, we were talking about contact balance with CeeDee Lamb. I think that's what Chenault brings you to. I, I think I think Ayuk is less contact balance, more just like he's finding a way around people. He can bounce off some, don't get me wrong, but I, I think his game is more trying to avoid people, whereas uh, Chenault's game is you know, absorbing contact. So, but yeah, I, mm-hmm. I could see that comp. I, I think that's fair. Although I, mean, I do neither think of I them are particularly, sorry. Sorry. Not, neither of them are like super polished receivers or route um, runners. They're both electric with the ball in their hands though, after the catch. So I guess that's where, that's where I equate them, I guess. Oh, that's fair. And, you know, as we're leaving the top three, I think this is where you're starting to uh, – let me put top four because I do like Justin Jefferson. But I think this is the part where you, you start having significant warts on prospects. So, you know, you got yeah. to see through. And I would also add – this is I, I, this just popped up. but So he had a really good final season. Um, he's a JUCO transfer, actually. But he only played – he played 12 games his final year. 65 catches, 1,192 yards, eight touchdowns, all good. But then 2018, because I, I I was wondering, I couldn't find any of his tape back then, but I could see why. 
he had 33 catches for 474 yards, three touchdowns. But what's incredible is 22 catches, 296 yards, two of those touchdowns came in the final four games of the season. So you do have some of that, um, I wouldn't want to call it one-year wonder because it's one and a quarter years, but you do have a limited sample size for him that I could see being some concern. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's impossible to tell at this point is that a guy who figured it out or did he just have a string of, you know, 14 unrepeatable games? Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, we laugh at it, but we see it in the NFL too, you know. There's some – Peyton Hillis is the first one that comes to mind. But Yeah, that's a great example. The, the sport, one season is just too limited of a sample size to base anything on. So Right. Yeah, that's – uh, it's something I love and hate about this sport. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if you'll allow me go to go on a tangent, but I do appreciate analytics, but I feel like that's its only flaw in football. I, I Don't get me wrong. I use it, but it's just, you know, for some of these guys, it's too small of a sample size to, yeah. you know, consistently rely on like, oh, he did this, this amount of the time. So. Genova. <laughs> All right, so are we are we done with Ayuk? Um, or did you have uh, more yeah, on let him? me just add that uh, really good. Uh, obviously, this goes with the yak, but really, really good returner. And I, I've seen we talked about the Steelers. I think it was the Ringer NFL podcast that mentioned it in one of the recent episodes. But the the Steelers actually one of their big criteria for drafting a receiver is a punt return touchdown in college because there's. I got to look up the number they cited, but there's some crazy correlation with returning a punt for a touchdown in college and being a good NFL receiver. So, um, Ayuk would fit that mold. Just wanted to throw that interesting tidbit out there. Yeah, 14 punt returns, 226 yards last year. That that's impressive. Yeah, but uh, we could use this as a segue because the next guy is probably an even better returner. Jalen Rager, did you watch any of his tape? I did. I watched two Jalen Rager games, so I can finally contribute a little bit again. There we go. Tell me what you think. <laughs> um, I, the, I like him in the, you know, just to sum it up, um, I like his, his speed in the open field. I like his catch radius. Um, does I think have long I've long arms seen, for a guy's size. I, I think I saw someone, I, I don't know who, but I, I thought I saw somebody call that uh, a question mark for him. And I don't get it, man. I I failed because I didn't make note of which game it was, but uh, one of the two games I watched, he leapt over a defender. Like, this just high-pointed the ball. Um, I was super impressed with, with that athleticism. I think that if... If you're targeting speed and you can't get um, rugs in the first, um, you could do a lot worse than to... You'd probably have to move up to get Jalen Rieger. I think he's a good fallback option, though, for rugs. I agree. Yeah, If you're looking for a traditional burner, I, I definitely think, just as, as on streaks and whatnot, I definitely think he's one of the better ones out there. Uh, worth noting that at his combine, he had a relatively disappointing four four seven, which is not what you want from a burner. But right, 
apparently at his pro day that was uh, streamed or I don't know how it was distributed, but he ran a four two something. So <laughs> take that yeah. as you will. He he had two dudes uh, hand time him at his pro day. One of them came up with a four two two, and one came up with a four two eight. And then I saw somebody on Reddit say they hand timed the video and came up with like a four three three. Um. So if you take all of those times and, and average them together, that's probably about his true speed in the forty yard dash. Right, and again, we're being um, spoiled by Rogue's forty time, which is crazy because even that was a disappointment for him. But yeah, anywhere in that four three range, I, you're doing all right for a speed guy. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh. And I would add too. So we talked about the return game with him, and I, I like what you said too because he does. I don't know if it always flashes, but he does show that ability to snag the ball when you don't think he should because he's like a head shorter than safety or something. But <laughs> the one caveat, and I know some people who only saw him this year will get pissed about, was that most of his highlights are just, you know, him as a returner. Most of his receiving tape isn't that great. But this year he played with a true freshman quarterback who well, wasn't great, put it there. And then, but his um, sophomore year, excuse me, started 11 games out of 13, 72 catches, 1,061 yards, and nine touchdowns, which, again, TCU hasn't been a high-flying offense in a couple of years. So I, I think that's more than adequate production. Yeah. Um, so I'm yeah. intrigued by those rushing numbers in his sophomore year, too. Uh, 13 attempts, 170 yards, and two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, again, that goes back to the return skills. It, he's just one of those guys, you get the ball in his hands, a lot of good things happen. And yeah. It, you couple that with the ability to go deep, and there's there's probably a player in here somewhere. It's just hard to see with the tape sometimes, but that's not all his fault. Not everyone plays with Tua. <laughs> uh, since we mentioned it with a couple other guys, I'll bring it up with Rager. Uh, the run blocking is not there with him. Oh, I mean, he weighs. Well, I guess the combine numbers shouldn't be taken as gospel for him because in that pro day video that he recorded and posted on Twitter, I just found out um, he weighed in at one ninety seven. So this two oh six, I'm gonna throw it out. Not very useful. So yeah, he's just not a big guy. I I don't yeah. really don't have expectations for him as a blocker, and I, I don't know. That's all I can really put out there for it. Uh, fun little fact about him: His dad, Monte Rager, uh, was a defensive end for the Broncos from '99 to 2002. Kind of a cool wow. tidbit. Huh. If you listen to the DNVR podcast, you've probably heard that. But all right, I did. I did not know that. Oh, cool! I was actually afraid I was like just gonna throw some really redundant information out there. <laughs> so you're I'm good, glad you didn't know. Blowing <laughs> up my spot as the receiver expert. <laughs> I'm kidding. Hardly. <laughs> I didn't watch half these guys. <laughs> no, you're good. You're good. Um, well, you got anything else on Rieger? Um, yeah, that's it. I guess if you want to just boil it down to the bare bones, deep threat, good with the ball in his hands, returner. That's what you're getting with him. Yeah. You want to talk about Visca? Yeah, he's the guy. I'm going through Brugler's list now using that because everyone else is 
can't use a consensus because everyone's all over the place. So that's a good place to go. You want to go with him because uh, he's your hometown guy. Or I guess he's from Texas, yeah. right? Hometown college. He, yeah, he, actually, I think he's from the same uh, same town as Von Miller. I think. I think they're oh. both from DeSoto. I see DeSoto on his page. So, yeah, I, I, I forgot where Von was from. Um, well, you talk about looking at a guy and, and seeing, like, when you would create just a giant in Madden. LaVisca's, like, 220. And I think, like, what, 6'2"? He's not super tall. Tom Bonnie weighed 227, but he looked a little thicker there than he did in college. So, yeah, I, I would guess his play weight's probably closer to 220. That's a hefty dude for a wide receiver, I think. I mean, I don't it know really, what Sutton weighs, but... It really is, and I think that kind of shows, you know, they didn't just use him as a wide receiver in college, and I think you see that in his body type because he doesn't need to be just that. Right. Yeah, he, he kind of makes me think of, like, a really poor man's Christian McCaffrey in the way that he can be deadly from all over the place. I, I could see that comp. I could see that comp. Um, I'm, I guess I'm, I'm curious. Are you just like being nice to me or do you actually see I, value in that? Because <laughs> that's like the third time I've given a comp and you're quiet for a second and then say, yeah, I guess. Oh, no, I was just I was just kind of, you know, seeing them in the same role. But no, because, you know, Christian McCaffrey as a receiver, he's not running deep routes. You know, you're keeping him close to the line, finding right. a way to get the ball in his hands in space. Although I do give the edge to route running to Christian McCaffrey. But again, that's <laughs> not really an insult to anybody. He is fantastic at it. But no, I, I definitely I definitely see a little bit of that for sure. No, nothing. Never mind. All right. Um. Lost my spot on LaVisca here. All right, so the biggest thing with LaVisca that everybody talks about is his injury concerns. It, did I see this right? He missed four games across the last two seasons at Colorado? Um. Yeah, I think... I'm trying to look up... I'm sorry, let me pull up the page. It, the problem wasn't that he just missed time. You're right. He was on the field, you know pretty often but i think the problem is there's certain games where you know he had to come out for a play or two and then when he did come yeah. back he was you know noticeably slowed down because what it's crazy is he played the most games this season more games I'm sorry yeah he played the most games of his career this season 11 he only had 56 mm -hmm. catches for 764 yards and as a receiver as a sophomore you know when a lot of people fell in love with him as a prospect and they still are, but he had 86 catches in nine games for 1,011 yards, six touchdowns. So, you know, you saw pretty consistent production as a receiver, more so than you did this year. Right. Yeah, so given uh, that huge question mark that is going to follow him around until he proves otherwise, what's the earliest you're comfortable with taking LaVisca Chenault? Um, if at all. Oh no, because I think ideally I would take him as like a a late second because he got he was injured at the combine or he had something there too. So, right, he uh, like Brandon Ayuk, he had a, a surgery for a core muscle deal um, after the combine. Uh, CBS Sports also said he had a pubic bone inflammation. That's the one I heard. Yeah, I knew it was something very strange. So, 
again, that concerns me. The ta- that that's why I feel really bad for him because the talent's really not the concern. It's like how available is he going to be? Yeah. I'm sorry. It, when is he going to be available and what player you're getting when he is fully available? So and then I would add too because I do think, you know, the injury concerns brush over some flaws in his game. And I, I feel bad beating down on the guy now, but I, I really don't see too polished of a of a receiver. You know, I, I think he's I, I think he can be a receiver, but I think where he is right now, he's more just a playmaker type deal. So I think, you know, going back to our Azani conversation, you're gonna need to significantly coach him up to be uh the receiver opposite of Cortland Sutton, if that's what you envision him to be. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And uh, that's why, even though he is my hometown guy, um, I'm not, it kills me to say it, but I am not crazy high on him in this draft because there are too many question marks around him, even when you get past the uh, injury concerns. It's like, how many of those deficiencies that you see on the field are his fault? How many of those deficiencies are because... He's on a not very good team with not very good quarterback play. Said it, not me. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it, I, I don't know. I don't really have anything more to say than that. He's, he's a mystery wrapped in an enigma. <laughs> yeah. And again, I, I, you know, I'm not a Colorado Broncos fan, so. I don't have that attachment, but I do feel bad. And I could see, you know, I wouldn't hate it if he was on the team, but I agree. There's just, there's a lot here that it's, you know, it's definitely one of the riskier uh, wide receiver picks out there. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you uh, in that. I wouldn't hate it. I would be pretty stoked if, if they did, you know, draft hometown dude. Um, but it would be met with cautious optimism from yeah. my part well i mean we're all diehard fans so it only take a week of watching highlights and we'll be full go we did it with paxton <laughs> lynch after all <laughs> yeah and we did it with paxton lynch <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> just always comes back to haunt me all the time all right we, we all have our moments there's i'm, I'm trying to i'll think of a really really bad a player that i pounded the table for (laughs) was i talking to you about uh about shane scove yeah yeah i I don't know if anybody listening will remember shane shane scove but man he was my first draft crush eight years ago i was like this guy is going to be the future broncos can pick him up in the second round and we'll have our our inside linebacker forever dude I don't think he ever really college. He racked up tackles, but kind of a very poor man's Josie Jewel. Just did not have the athleticism for the position. <laughs> yeah, he would have been a good tack or a good uh, linebacker, maybe twenty or thirty years before his time. <laughs> right. Yeah. All right, man. Uh, I actually reached the end of the list of court or wide receivers that I looked at. And I know that I'm missing some. So who else you got? Yeah, I'll just do a, a quick glance over because now we're starting to get into some of the third round guys, which, again, might be targets because I could see his double dip. But, 
you know, I don't want to be, <laughs> I don't want to take up everyone's time, but <laughs> I would go next with Michael Pittman Jr. from USC. I don't know if you've seen, I know you said you didn't watch closely, but you might've seen him before. Um, it's definitely a name I've seen thrown around. Right. Yeah. He's definitely, he's a guy I, I've seen him get some second round buzz, but I think third round's probably where he's going to go. Um, the size he brings, 6'4", 223, really jumps out to you. You can see it when you look at him. Um, a little on the slow end, 4'5", 40. Uh, yeah, his measurables really aren't aren't out of this world. But what he does is, uh, I, I hate using this comp, but I guess you would look at him as like a Cortland Sutton. You know, he's a strong, mm-hmm. big guy, and he's not going to get crazy separation but he's going to catch the ball when people are covering him so um, yeah looking at his senior numbers uh, 101 receptions for uh, 1275 yards 11 touchdowns that is not too shabby oh not at all not at all that's that's just he's like a one-year wonder because year before is 41 catches for 758 yards that's right and i don't see he didn't miss any time for injury um, I I I, um, I don't want to uh, overextend myself here. I didn't watch too much of his 2018 tape. Saw, saw some of his 2019 tape. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I couldn't really give you a reason for the production before this year. But yeah, I mean, he definitely has a role in this league. But I haven't really paid too much attention to him because you know everyone's concerned about finding someone redundant with Cortland Sutton, and I think him and the next guy I'm about to get into are the two. Uh, the two closest ones. So do you want to take a guess who the next guy is? <laughs> uh, just based on where we're sitting. Um, I'll just throw out, and I, I'm going to be embarrassed that this is super far off, but uh, KJ Hamler, I guess would be in this region. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So KJ Hamler is, has the opposite problem. He is not very big at all. He went to the combine. <laughs> Five eight and a half, one seventy eight. Great, <laughs> I am embarrassed. That's that's so far off. I was really hoping you weren't going to say him. I was like, eh, it's going to go either way. But I, no, it's fine. He definitely deserves to be brought up. He's you know a crazy athlete. He didn't work out at the combine, so it's hard to quantify. You know the way yeah. we do other prospects. But you see him in the NFL. Uh, sorry, NFL. You see him on his tape, and he just blows by a lot of people. That's that's really what you're getting with him. He's fast. He is shifty. He's good with the ball in his hands. I think ball security. I'm looking for his fumbles. I hope I'm not um, dragging his ball security through the mud unprovoked. But <laughs> anyway, there, there's some concerns with him because with his size, you know, five, he's really small. It, yeah, five eight is tiny. He doesn't catch the ball well at all. So. I think if you're looking for a deep threat, he can provide that, but I don't think he does it. We were talking about, you were talking about how you like Regor high pointing the ball. KJ Hamler's not going to do that. He needs to be wide open to catch it. And then same with Ruggs, you know, Ruggs had a really low drop rate. So I think that's why a lot of people are encouraged to go with the speed. Hamler's not that guy. You need him yeah. with a lot of space and granted he could probably get it because he's that fast, but so that would be the concern. He's probably another third round guy at Brugler has him here as a second, but I'd be surprised if he went that high. All right. Let me try that guess again. Now okay. uh, Ch- chase Claypool. 
No, but we can go to him next. Um, yeah, I'm a Notre Dame fan, so I, I watched a ton of him. He's a personal favorite of mine, so I'll try to hide my bias here. But he really – he kind of like Mims, although he doesn't have Mims athleticism, but he's just a size-speed guy. There were some people that thought he might be a tight end in the pros because he weighs he weighed in at 238 at the combine, which is massive. Yeah. It's almost that's like 20 pounds heavier than Cortland Sutton weighed at the combine. But Jesus. I know he is huge. But with that, he brought it four four two forty, and his broad jump and vertical jump were like jumping out of the gym. Ten ten feet. Um hope I'm reading this right. I don't know if that's six inches or point six inches, but and then his vert jump was 40 and a half. So this guy, not only is he fast, not only is he big, he's jumping out of the stadium. Yeah. Problem is, and I say this as a Notre Dame fan, his quarterback wasn't really great at what would make Chase Claypool great, if you get where I'm going. He was okay. more of a I'm trying to think of a good comp. It's hard to come up with a pro comp because they're not in the pros so much, but He's like a smaller guy, accurate, short, but doesn't go deep. And I think Claypool's a guy where you want him going deep, kind of similar to Mims, just throw him some jump balls. Because the few times he did, he's really good at them. And so, yeah, if you're looking for a deep threat, I think Claypool could be that guy. But, I mean, he, he's not going to develop too much into a route runner, I don't think. And I think his game will be rather limited in the pros. But what he does, he does well. But mm-hmm. I can see that being slightly redundant with Cortland Sutton as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'll well, go. I'm, you're out of guesses now because I'm just gonna say the guy T. Yeah. Higgins. Oh my. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I forgot about T. Higgins' existence. I, I think you good. and I have talked about him being too similar to Cortland Sutton. I, I think he's too similar in the wrong ways because I Cortland Sutton didn't time well himself, but T. Higgins ran almost a four six forty, and at the pro level that is pretty bad so uh, he is a talented player you know um he obviously has a production playing with trevor lawrence but that i i really just see him as a guy that maybe you give him a slant here or there or he'll stiff arm a corner maybe some hitches or whatever where he could box out but that's really all you're getting with him i think i don't think you're gonna yeah. see him beating too many corners deep M- maybe he can make some of those uh you know diving grabs deep that Cortland made, but again, I think you're looking at a very, very poor man's Cortland Sutton. Um, you got anybody else? I mean, it, you know, people say it all the time, so and they're not wrong. It is such a deep class, but I really think those are the guys you're probably looking at to, that are going to be close to you know day one contributors. You go down the board, yeah. you see a guy like Brian Edwards. His production's low. It's not great, but South Carolina hasn't had a good passing attack since I've been born, I don't think. Um, but he he has some skills that could definitely be used, but he's another one of those bigger receivers. So I don't know if we'd use him. He's 6'2", 212. Not huge, but not not small. Um, going down further the board, K.J. Hill, as he's gotten some buzz. Um, you know, good route runner. Nothing crazy. I know some people do like him a lot. I I think he's an intriguing slot receiver. I don't think he's like a, oh, second-round pick. I've seen some people. I think, yeah, late third, early fourth, I would say. But I could be wrong. And then Antonio, Antonio Gandy-Golden, he's another big guy, 40 times 4'6". So, again, you're looking at that Cortland yeah. Sutton build. 
And yeah, I'm trying to go down the list. Oh, an interesting guy I kind of like is uh, Lynn Bowden Jr. from Kentucky. Have you heard of him? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Uh, he, the name is familiar. He's intriguing. You know, if we don't get that third round guy we wanted, um, I'm sorry. Yeah, if we don't get that third round day one contributor, I think Lynn Bowden could be an interesting fourth round guy. You develop into a kind of a, I hate using the same schools as a comp, but you could, I could see him being a Randall Cobb at the next level. Yeah. Well, that's, there's a lot, a lot to research over the next two weeks for me. Um, the wide receivers are definitely my primary focus on, as far as, you know, my, my couch armchair scouting goes. Yeah, I mean, I'm I would be lying to you if I said I went all the way down because there, I'm looking at. I'm sorry, let me cite Brugler's list one more time. There is a crazy amount of wide receivers with you know pretty high draft grades. Sorry, I'm trying to locate it. Okay, he has just seventh, not even the pr- premium free agent. Thirty-eight receivers with draftable <laughs> grades. That's insane. That is, yeah. At least it's, it feels like to me. I could be wrong, but I, I don't think you get that a lot. And I, I think, too, you know, a lot's made of the depth of this class, and there are some intriguing guys. But I think what really what, what I what catches my eye is I'm looking at the top 20 guys. I could see a lot of these guys become starters. You know, we went over, yeah, I think, just 12. But you got guys like Colin Johnson. A lot of people like him. Devin Duvernay, people like him. Isaiah Coulter, I'd be lying if I said I watched him because he played at Rhode Island, but people like him. <laughs> so, yeah, there, there's a lot of guys like, you know, sometimes you get to that fourth, fifth round and you're just like, all right, you know, maybe like a Deshaun Hamilton, maybe he'll start, probably not. Or, you yeah. know, you're looking at mostly depth guys. But here, I, I think you can find, you know, significant contributors down that far of the board. Yeah, I agree. It's uh. I I really don't think it's overstating overstating it to say that this is a an unprecedented wide receiver class, or it could be. Um, you know, I it could just be too. a couple yeah. years in the future. We're looking back on this and saying, like, holy crap, all those guys were in the same year. People hate using the 2014 class as a comp. You know, Mike Evans was in there. OBJ, Jarvis Landry went 60th. I I really think we're looking at a class that can contribute like they did. Yeah. Yeah, it's um, impossible to think right now, a week and a half out from the draft, that the Broncos won't be leaving. Uh, well, won't be leaving Las Vegas. They'll be sitting at home, but they're <laughs> they're not going to be wrapping up this thing without adding, I probably two wide receivers. I think. I think so too. I, I think I mentioned earlier, but my ideal scenario would be. Pick one up in the first, ideally the top three. And then after that, one of those third round picks, you can get, you know, we're, we were talking about some guys being a little redundant, but I, I don't know. Maybe if, if they have Coulter that high or KJ Hill, maybe to be the slot guy, I think that would yeah. be an ideal draft. Aaron, you making movie references? Uh, not intentionally. No, look at this. A wild uppercut appears. I miss it. What was the reference? I said leaving Las Vegas. Oh, oh. what's up, guys? What's going on? What you doing? Not a DMV podcast. Thwarting my plans. How are your t- uh, smile smile bones? We don't talk about smile bones. 
Oh, wait, no. Oh. He's a little sensitive. Did you up the dosage? <laughs> I didn't. I just took more. I just took what it says on the bottle. <laughs> you sound a little loopy there. <laughs> we done? You thwarting my plans? <laughs> Making movie references? No, it, it really was not an intentional movie reference. I realized as I was about to say leaving, I was like, ah, shit, here I go. Listen, mm. I was so wrapped up in doing like a full football podcast, my mind can't even pivot to whatever you're talking about. <laughs> Still? I mean, uh, uh, 14, what'd you think to uh, to not get completely derailed a couple times? It was, it was interesting. It was a, it was a new <laughs> new feeling. <laughs> Maybe a little bit dry. Yeah, I think I think uppercut provides a much needed levity. <laughs> Look, I know that All you right. tried to disguise that, but you did just call me the fool. I, you know you are. Oh no! You don't think you are? Oh no! This is awkward. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the king of the podcast. You've never been on the podcast before. Jesus Christ, they're coming out of the coming out of the woodwork now. This is we were coming down the stretch. The wild caboose. How about we end it with this? For you two, who do you let's say take the top three out? Who do you think would be the best fit across from Cortland Sutton? Because that that seems to be the big buzzword, the bu- big key everyone's looking for. The 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 potentially second to third round pick. Um, and if you look at a guy like that's a it might be 15, honestly. It's crazy. Well, I think that answering that question is uh, conceding to another one that I don't want to, which, which is that? taking a tackle at 15. Yeah. But uh, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I liked Rager for a lot of the year, but after he came swole, to the the combine and disappointed uh, in the 40 at least i was like hmm, maybe you are a little uh but yeah there's a reason i wasn't in the podcast boys uh, other than my smile bones and it was to there was well i'm here now to sing us out all right man well sing us out uh 14 thanks for joining us or me thanks for having me are we over is it done all right it sounds like you're cutting yeah, if you're here to recording. sing us out Honestly, I talked about everything I wanted to talk about. So, I was just going to say, if you wanted to wrap up, because I, I was just asking that, but I mean, I know we kind of touched on it with each prospect, but maybe just who would be the who would we prefer to be across from Sutton? Maybe I was just thinking, if, if I if I had my pick of anybody, well, do or... top three and then everyone versus and so one guy in the top three and then one guy outside of the top three. Okay, all right. So if I had to pick one guy. From those top three of Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, and Henry Ruggs. I think I think I have to go with Lamb. But it is really tight. It's really <laughs> tight between Lamb and Judy. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you there because the way I see it, like I understand some people's concerns of like, okay, their deep game is somewhat similar. And yeah, Lamb is even if he does develop as a route runner, he's not going to separate as well as Judy. But the way I see it, especially just year one, as you develop the rest of Lamb's game, is that you have Sutton running deep. And then if they want to draw, if they want to put safeties on Sutton to help out a corner, then you have, you know, Lamb with a 
with a lot of room to work with underneath in the yak game. And then if they want to go two safeties deep, guess what? Now you got Melvin Gordon, Philip Lindsay up the middle, take advantage. Yeah. Whereas I could see with Judy, like, okay, maybe you put him at slot and that can draw some attention, but is Judy's game the type? Cause they seem pretty set on getting some safety help away from, yeah, away from Sutton. Does Judy strike you as that guy you're putting another safety over top for him? I don't know. No, probably not. So that's the way I see it. And it wouldn't surprise me because I know a lot of people on the sub think that Judy would be the preferred pick. But if they are, you know, gung-ho on the safety help, because I think Lamb, I don't know. I could see some people arguing for Judy as the deep, better deep threat. But I, I think what Lamb can do, the circus catches, is going to draw some safety help. So I think Lamb gives that to you. Obviously, Ruggs is the best deep threat or the potential deep threat. But Yeah, so. I, I... I prefer what the other two can do all around over rugs. And I, I, I really don't want to sound like I'm um, being reductive of rugs, but the other two are just better rounded. Yeah. I, I think that I agree with that. No question. I like rugs myself. I'd have no problem with them at 15, but I agree. The other two are on a different level. Yeah. And, and then barring those top three, uh, it it's so hard to pick um you know i i like a lot of what jefferson does but i don't think he's gonna put your your offense over the top um i think i'd go with rieger yeah i i could definitely see that he is a, a phenomenal returner like his senior tape, because we had talked about him being being with a freshman quarterback. It really, he just down, danced around guys. He's got that contact balance we talked about, and it didn't show up at the combine. But his athleticism looks elite, no matter who they're playing. So I I could see that. Um, myself, I think, I don't know. I I could see Jefferson being a really good slot receiver underneath Sutton, and the two of them working together, similar to how Chase. And Jefferson did. I think that would be the safer pick. But again, assuming the Broncos are really gung ho on adding a deep threat opposite, I think I'm leaning towards Ayuk because I, I I see him developing into a pretty good receiver. And you know, when I first saw it mentioned that oh, some teams have him higher than Nikhil Harry, I was like, because I watched some Nikhil Harry, I was like, oh yeah, this guy's good. But I, I do see, I could see Ayuk being the better throw because he's got all the athleticism and he plays hard too so he just has a little bit of everything and that deep speed yeah i think i mean his 40 time didn't reflect it but i think he could give you a lot more than just a deep threat so i mean i i will say this i don't think there's one guy uh in this list of guys that we've talked about that i'll be upset about yeah no i'm with you except for maybe t higgins for me but (laughs) (laughs) i yeah he would be meh at at most for me. And sorry, because I actually hate when people say meh. <laughs> I think I did that a couple times, so I'm sorry if I did. <laughs> oh, well, if you did, then I'm sorry. I'm not trying to call you out. I didn't even notice. <laughs> I don't think I'd do it, but I might have. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, before we just continue apologizing to each other, oh, God. let's go ahead and wrap this thing thanks everybody for listening uh 14 thanks for joining me thanks for having me on 
and uh, we wish Uppercut an expedient recovery for his smile bones. Expedient? Is that not proper? It's just a weird, a weird word choice, I guess. Weird. Where you lead, I will follow any, anywhere that you tell me to break me. And now when I can talk again. <laughs> Song over. <laughs> no, it was great. Thank you. That was what I was missing.